I used to sit outside the window of the youth ministry room when it was downstairs in this yucky stairwell with my friends because I wanted to be around the youth group, but I didn't want to be in the youth group. I thought youth group people were weird. And, um, but my friend and I would hang out on Wednesday nights uh, outside uh, over by the garbage over there, and we would just kind of listen to the worship and listen to the message. And, um, and then I was going to Harper College, uh, and I, uh, I decided you know, that I was just going to go to college just to please my grandparents every time they'd say, hey, what are you going to do with your life? I'm going to college, you know. Um, okay, that good, that good. Keep the, keep the birthday checks coming in, you know. Um, <clears throat> but uh, my family lived down by the CLC dorms, and uh, I was not a good kid. I was a teenager trying to figure it out. My, our church met in our home. And so, like, the youth group was me and my brothers, and I really didn't have a grid for what Christianity looked like for someone that was my age as an older teenager, as a young adult. And uh, I just want to say thank you to my parents uh, for being faithful and sticking with me. My parents are here this morning, Russ and Ginger Bechtold. A lot of you know them. And, uh, And so I would be, like, out partying and coming home late and just hanging out in the street waiting for all my family to go to bed. And while I was out there, sometimes the Christian Life College students would come down and try to witness to the pastor's kid. And um, so I didn't want to have anything to do with that. I didn't want to have anything to do with them. Uh, I was a long hair, rock and roller, wannabe poser guy. So I thought, you know, in order to be cool, you had to be in a band or play an instrument. Well, that fall of 1990, uh, there was a group of guys coming in to move into the dorms down there. And these guys get out of their car and they've got long hair. They've got guitars and drums and amplifiers and I'm like cool people and I found out that they were Christians and I'm like wow well I wonder what they do so I ran home and got my Bible and before they even finished unloading I sat them all down in their new living room at their dorm and I said let's have a Bible study and I wasn't trying to be super spiritual I was just trying to fit in I'm just like, okay, Christian guys, 19 years old is probably what they do all the time. So I'm just going to try to act like I'm part of the thing, you know. So I've got these guys sitting in their living room. Their cars aren't even unloaded, and we're having a Bible study. I don't even know what the heck I'm doing. Well, they were like, well, all right. Well, once they were done with me, they're like, well, dude, we're going to orientation tomorrow. You want to come with us? And I'm like, what does that mean? And they said, well, I don't know. They're just going to kind of tell us what's going on. I'm like, yeah, I just want to hang with you guys. All right, we'll be by in the morning. You'll hear our car. Trust us. <laughs> so they came by our house, and we rolled down here, and... Um, uh, what I found out about this place is that uh, you can't have a meeting without worshiping. And uh, so I, I walked into the room, which was the sanctuary, the gym over there, with all the orange curtains and chairs and everything. And I walked in, uh, and there were a hundred people in there, my age, worshiping God. I had never seen that before. There was a band up there who wasn't necessarily leading, but they were worshiping. And I walked into this place, and I walked into the back of that gym, and I was just stunned. And... Um, and then there was, this, there was this one person over on the side there, and, and, and she was like talking, but she wasn't singing the words to the song. And I'm like, you rebellious woman. You know, no, uh, but, but like, I like, I like saw something in her. Like she was like having a conversation with Jesus. And, and I, I go in there and I try to just find a seat and try to play along. And God got a hold of my heart. And this girl got up there. Her name is Maggie Lyons. And she got up there and she did this portrayal of a, the crucifixion to a song. And God just <laughs> broke my heart in half. 
and I was just completely overwhelmed in the greater way than I ever had been before of the love that God has for me despite my stupidity, my selfishness, and my sin. And as that song's just playing, I mean, I'm just a mess. And at this point, I don't even care if anyone sees me. And I just said, I think I even said it out loud because I didn't really know how to pray. I said, God, I want you to use me to make people feel like I feel right now. Well, the next day was open registration out here on the lawn. And, and right after that orientation service, I went out to Harper College that had just started. And I pulled as much of my tuition money as I could. And I got out of all those classes. And I said, I need to be here. I don't even know what here is. But I need to be here. So I came out and, you know, there was people, you know, uh, all the corny Christians were hanging out on the lawn out here, you know, and, I, and I'm waiting in line and, um, and I get up and there's this guy who looks like Phil Donahue. Find out it's, you know, Pastor Harry Schmidt. And uh, so I'm going up and, um, and he's like, well, hello, you know, and he hasn't changed in forever. And, and, um, and he said, what's your name? And I told him my name and he's like, well, you're not on our list here. And I said, yeah, I don't think I'm on any list. I said, I just know I need to be here. And uh, he said, oh, and he put his stuff down. And he said, tell me your story. And I knelt down in front of that table and I just, I said, I don't even have a story. And I started weeping. And I said, I don't know what's going on, but I know that there's something here that I need. And there's something here that I've been running from. And I said, I need to make a change. And I think this might be the place to start. Well, he moves all his papers aside, you know, so that I don't mess them all up with my Kleenex. You know, he still likes his piles in order. Um, and I started enrolling here at Christian Life College. And uh, I was still trying to figure it out. I was partying on the weekends with all those guys and learning about the Bible during the week. And God was just moving in my heart. And I just didn't know what was happening. And I just, I just want to say thank you for being a place that has room for a punk like me without judgment, without high expectations, but just with a huge extension of love and grace and mercy. Daryl, when he was in high school, when he used to have uh, pre-gray hair and his speckled wash jeans, he would come up to me. He didn't know me. He didn't come up to me often, but he never had judgment. He just wanted to be a friend. And as much as I could, I let him. And then Pastor Merrill, he would take me, put his arm around me, and I don't know why he even wanted to spend time with me, but I, he would spend time with me. Pastor Harry Schmidt would buy every meal that I ever had here, I think. I don't know, he would always end up at the same restaurant I was at, and I would always find out that my meal had been paid for. And there were just people here that had just been pouring love over and over and over, and it was God's kindness that was leading my heart to repentance. Pastor Fred Job took me as a very young man in the middle of winter to a retreat in Michigan, a men's retreat. And I didn't even feel like I was a man yet. And every person that he introduced, I mean, he was Pastor Fred of this big church in Chicago. And every time that he would be with someone, he would introduce them to me as his friend. Have you met my friend David? And I just felt so important. Leanne Rivness. I met her. And she took a chance and took me to England with the Sounds of Praise music and worship team. I couldn't sing, 
but I learned how to do that crucifixion song and to do that drama. And she's like, why don't you come and do that with us? So here I am over in England in winter of 1990. And God is answering that prayer. And God is using me to help people feel like I felt that day just a few months earlier. And people are coming undone and they're realizing that God is good and that Jesus has a plan for their life. And the Holy Spirit really is available and interested to be their guide and their friend. And then it all fell apart when they'd start asking me questions about, I, I don't know, go see Pastor Harry. You know, I'm just... <laughs> I just want to thank everybody here for your patience and your willingness to be a, a safe place for many, 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 many people. And you continue to do that. And I just want to say that maybe I'm a success story. If so, you are a part of it. I got a little picture of what, what we used to look like. Uh, this is when I met my wife back, some of you knew me from back then. That's when we lived down on School Street. So that was back in 1990. I met my wife here. She wasn't my wife when I met her, but uh, it was that same girl that was having that conversation with Jesus in the middle of the worship service. She had green hair past her waist, these Zubaz tie-dyed things and flip-flops and just some hippie chick from north side of Chicago. And we dated and we married. We've been married 21 years. We've got four awesome kids. And I just want to say thank you. So I'm just giving some of you who know me a thanks. Some of you who don't, you're part of a legacy that God is leaving in the lives of many people. So can we just clap for God because he's so good? I know that you are dedicating new children's ministry areas today. And when I left Christian Life College, I went up to a church plant in Madison, Wisconsin, and came on very part-time as the children's pastor. We met in a very low-budget strip mall place with mice running around. We used the pastor's office with the concrete floor. That was our nursery on Sundays. And it was just crazy. 60 people were there. Well, families started to come with children. And there was actually a children's ministry for the first time. Well, it got to be the point where there were, half of the church was under the age of 10. And people were coming in. And these were drug addicts. These were blue-collar workers. These were kids from campus. These were young families that were just trying to figure out if God really likes them or if God's even real. And I'll tell you what, we grew. And we had to move out of that place into a high school that seated 300 adults. And then we outgrew that place. And God was just exploding the riches of his goodness and his grace and his mercy. Shane Holden was our pastor. Brian Montre, these are both Christian Life College graduates that we graduated with together. And God was letting us be a part of his team to do something great in a place called Madison, Wisconsin. Fast forward, I've been there for 17 years now. And I just don't have a plan to go anywhere. And I just want to say thank you to the leaders that are here, the people that I'm looking at in this room who've known me 25 years ago. You guys are still here. You've set an example of something very simple, and that is faithfulness. Faithfulness, I just want to encourage you guys with this. Faithfulness is not necessarily trendy. It's not necessarily cool. It's not necessarily cutting edge. But it is an attribute of God that is so under-displayed. 
in the lives of believers, just faithfulness, staying in one place for a long time, being willing to invest in people over a long period of time, that is the faithfulness of God. And I prefer people that are rooted deep, that I can go to after years, after year, after year, than, have chosen, than the people that have chosen to get on to the next new thing or the next new exciting thing. There's nothing more culturally relevant and exciting than the presence and the power of God. And I just want to honor those who have stayed in one place for a long time. Thank you. As you go through the tour of your children's areas today, I just want you to, I just want to tell you some of the things that we've seen. We have seen kids getting brought by families that come to church. And when you have a children's ministry that is an exciting place to be, kids will come. And so neighbors are bringing friends. These people drop off their own kids. Then they would drive back and they would bring their neighbor kids. And their neighbor kids would come. So this, this, every week, more and more kids would come. And this family had like five children. And I'd never met their parents because their parents didn't come. Well, I finally met their mom. She ended up coming with them one day. And her kids just dragged her mom to kids' church. And they said, Mom, this is Pastor Dave. This is the one we've been telling you about. And she was just freaked. You know, here we are in a school. And she's just like, ah, okay. Glad you like my kids. You know, well, the next week she brings her husband. And she's excited. And the mom's dragging the kids and her husband to kids' church to meet me. And she's like, this is where our kids' lives are being changed. And the husband was standing there. And he is just, I mean, he's a tradesman. He's staunch. She's like, our kids' hearts are being changed. And he looks at me. And he's short big dude. And he just says, thank you for caring about my kids. Well, a few weeks later, they came to our home group and we were given prayer requests and they raised their hand and they said, the mom and dad, and they said, we think it's time for us to get married. <laughs> I'm like, well, all right, let's do this thing. In our church now, on occasion, the pastor will ask the children to come up and be the altar team at the front of the service afterwards. And I'll tell you what, people are getting healed. These kids are praying simple prayers. And people's lives are being changed and hearts are being opened. Now I have people on a somewhat regular basis coming down to children's church and they're saying, can the kids pray for me today? One of our volunteers hasn't heard out of her ear since she was born. And she's like, well, I, don't, I just gave up praying on this a long time ago. The kids came up and prayed for her. And she said, I've been hearing a ringing in that ear that I have never felt before. She's like, God has given me new hope through these children that I wasn't even expecting. There was a woman that came to church and she was at a coffee shop. And I found out that she was trying to find ways that she could commit suicide for the last year and a half. She hated me. I would go into that coffee shop all the time and she hated me. I didn't even know why, I just, and one day she said, tell me about your church. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this isn't going to be good. She doesn't want to hear. She came to our service. God rocked her world and touched her heart, and the children were up there, and she's like, she's sitting back here, she's like, I'm not going to have no kids pray for me. <laughs> Maybe a pastor or a priest, but no children. And so she's just sitting there, and she's got this sciatic pain that has just been running up and down her back and her hips and her leg and she can hardly even sit still but she's like I'm not going up I'm not going up and just as we were getting ready to close the service she decides to get up and the moment she stands up her pain is gone 
And she just stood there. She worshiped in a way that you guys and I have never even seen. She didn't know how to worship. You know, we know how to worship. You got to raise your hands, you know, uh, do the light bulbs and, you know, screw in the light bulbs and close your eyes and kneel down and you got to do it all right depending on what the tempo of the song is. But she has been forever touched and forever healed. And it's because of what God's doing in the lives of children. For the past five years, I have not had to ask for a single children's ministry volunteer. There's been a waiting list for people to volunteer in children's ministry. God says in his word that in the day of my power, my people will volunteer freely. I'll tell you what, we have just let these children run with what God wants to do in them. Their hearts are alive. They are coming back on a weekly basis with testimonies. They are having kids sleep over at their house on Saturday night so that they could bring them to church on Sunday morning as part of the sleepover package. (laughs) Parents are coming down saying, when is the altar time for the children? Because I want to come and get prayed for. On a weekly basis, these kids are going through the Word of God and they're engaging in small groups and they're worshiping together. They're rushing to pray for each other. They're coming to the front. They're enjoying the presence of God. And they're still just kids. They're beating each other up. They're playing with Legos and they're picking their noses. And they're still yahoos. But it's beautiful. There's something deep stirring inside of their heart. And there's a love for the Word of God. And there's a love for the presence of Jesus. And there's a desire and a purpose in them that they realize that God can use them to do amazing things. I just wanted to tell you that what you're doing with children's ministry is no small thing. You are creating uh, the red carpet for the Holy Spirit to enter this place. There was one time that I was in children's church, and I just, I just want to honor what's happening here in the, in the children and family and youth ministries. And there was this girl that came into the back, and we were, I'd never seen her before, and we were talking about deliverance, you know, a typical children's church curriculum, and uh, talking about how God would deliver people and deliver demons, and we were going through the scriptures and having warfare worship, and I didn't even know what that meant. And uh, this girl came, and we just said, if you need someone, if, if you need deliverance, come forward. And this girl came forward, probably about 11 years old, and, um, I, and then she was gone. And I never knew her. We prayed for her. She was back the next week, sitting in the same seat in the back. And during our testimony time, she stood up and she said, last week, we prayed that my, my dad would be delivered from his addiction to cigarettes. She's like, I didn't tell anybody. I just came up and I thought it might be okay if I stood in in his place. But I didn't tell anybody. I didn't know anybody. And she's like, I went home that afternoon. I didn't even tell my dad. But I saw my dad throwing away his packs of cigarettes. And my dad hasn't had a cigarette in a week. And he's like, she said, I don't even know how I got here on Sunday. My aunt dropped me off. I prayed for my dad, and I didn't tell anybody. And God has taken the wheel, and God has made a way. I believe that God is real. And all of our church kids are like, yes, God is real. And you guys, it is just amazing what children will do if you just give them an opportunity to let their hearts run for Jesus. So I just want to say, if you're not involved in children's ministry, man, I say you're missing out. God wants to do something pretty amazing. If you invest into children, elementary kids, middle schoolers, teenagers, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be perfect. A lot of times you just need to be present. 
and you will be ministered to as well. And God will do a great things in your presence, in your midst. Because it's almost like when the kids start worshiping and praying, God's like, oh man, they got the kids going. All right, we better show up, you know. <laughs> Thank you for your heart for families and children. Well, I want to read a passage of scripture. And it's in Matthew 9. Uh-oh, my glasses. Don't be laughing at me. Matthew 9, chapter 35 and 36. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is such a typical synopsis or a synopsis of a typical day in the life of Jesus. And this represents some of the main characteristics of his life here on earth and who he is and who we can even call on today. Jesus is available. He went through the cities and villages. He made himself available to those people. And he was attentive. He was teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease. And then Jesus was affirming. He affirmed those people. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And as you look on Jesus' life, you just see that he went to be where the people were. Jesus made himself available. Zacchaeus, a hated man that could take people's money legally, decided to climb a tree because he couldn't see. Jesus came to that spot and he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. Jesus went to where the people were and he was available. And he saw people and he saw Zacchaeus. And he said, I got to spend some time with you, dude. Well, that's the New Living Translation. He said, but you must come down and I must eat in your house today. Jesus saw people and he sees you and he finds great value in you. There's nothing that you've done that can render you unworthy of his gaze and his look and his presence. We are not deserving of his love, but he has considered us worthy. And he gave his son for us. He made himself available. Jesus is also attentive. He listened to people. Jesus just found out that John the Baptist died. His best friend was ruthlessly beheaded. And it says that Jesus went, because of that news, he went to find a solitary place to pray. And on his way, he came around the hill, and there were 5,000 men with women and children. And the disciples are probably like, blinders, come on Jesus, solitary place, remember bad news, let's go, forget them. Jesus saw them again and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He was not only available, but he was attentive to their need and he knew that he had something that they could benefit from and so he fed them. Jesus knows your need. Pastor Darrell, when you said your prayer matters. That sounds so simple. That sounds so, no kidding. But you know what? That is the word of the Lord. Your prayer matters. Jesus is attentive to your need. He knows what you need before you ask. Nothing takes him by surprise. And he is not afraid of your deep, dark place that you're in right now. Even if you're the one that's got yourself in there, Jesus is not afraid of it. 
and he will enter that place and he will be attentive to your need because he knows what you need more than you do and he's able to meet that need more than you ever could. Your prayer matters. He is attentive to your need. And Jesus is affirming. I mean, he went having compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is not afraid to touch people. I have a friend who's been a professional um, hairstylist in his own salon for 30 years. And he's excellent. High-end, big money, big clients. And uh, he said he had a new client that came in one time, and it was a, it was a woman um, that she had come in, and he's like, didn't kind of look like most of my clients, but she, uh, she came and sat down, and he asked, you know, what we were doing today and with the hair. And so she told him, and, and, he, and he touched, he went to touch her hair, and he, his first stroke of her hair, she started weeping. And he's like, okay. So he went over here, and, and she's like, <laughs> like, I mean, sobbing. And he turns to her, he's like, did I do something? He's like, ma'am, are you okay? And she couldn't even talk. She said, it has been so many years. I can't even remember the last time somebody has touched me in such a loving and affirming way. Well, now my friend was like, oh my goodness. Here he was just doing his thing and living his life and exercising his profession. And he had such a profound impact just by kind and gentle touch. And this woman, who knows what her history and her past was, but it had been years since she had been touched in an affirming and positive way. He said she went on to become one of his greatest customers and she is realizing the love of God in her life despite her situation. God loves you unconditionally. I'm going to finish with this story. When Pastor Darrell started pastoring this church as the head pastor, I lived up in Madison, Wisconsin, and I'd come down here once in a while. And uh, so I'm like, oh, I want to go see what he's doing now that he's in the Oval Office, you know? And uh, so I came down here, and uh, I hopped upstairs, because I knew, I knew my way around this building, you know? And uh, so I went upstairs, and I'm like, hey, I'm here to see, here to see Daryl. Oh, Pastor Daryl? Yeah, yeah, my college buddy. Oh, do you have an appointment? No. No, you know, okay, well, you know, maybe we could set something up. So I, I'm like, oh, hang on. You know, so I went out in the hallway and I, I found a side door, you know, so I go in over there, you know, and the person stands up from behind their desk and, uh, hi. I'm like, oh, yeah, is Daryl here? Oh, Pastor Daryl? Yeah, you know, um, I, um, yeah, well, you can go over there. At, um, does he know you're, does he expecting you? No, um, no, okay. I'll go out here, you know, and uh, so, so I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just catch up with him later, you know, and, um, uh, well, I got in the hallway, and there's this kid running around the hallway, um, and it was Luke. He's like eight years old, uh, and he was shorter than me at that time. And, um, and Luke comes up, uh, and he's like, hey, I said, you're Luke Merrill, right? He's like, yeah. And I said, well, I'm, you know, uh, I'm your Uncle Mark's brother, you know, da, 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 and uh, oh, okay. He's like, what are you doing? I said, I, said I, just, I just wanted to say hi to your dad. He's like, well, he's in his office. And I said, yeah, I know. And he, uh, he's like, well, do you know where it is? I said, kind of. And um, well, he grabs my wrist and he just marches me into that office, opens up or opens up the door, walks right past secretary number one, you know, door number two, <laughs> down the dark, creepy tunnel and hallway. And, uh, and we go all the way back and uh, Daryl's office, the door is closed. Luke opens it right up and says, dad, your friend is here. 
And, uh, and I kind of walk through the door threshold, and, uh, and Daryl stands up, and he comes over and gives me this huge hug. He's like, Dave! He's like, yeah, thanks, Luke, and Luke's gone. Um, I'll tell you what. There is only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. There are many things in your life that will stand up against you when you want to come to the Father, and they will say, do you have an appointment? Hey, we got a whole list of reasons why you should not go down that hallway. Hey, we've got a whole bunch of reasons why you have failed, things that you're not good at, things that you've tried that have been stupid, addictions that you have. So you would try another door. Oh, haha, sorry, can't come in this way. Do you know that this is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And you want to come into there? Yeah, sorry. You know, it doesn't take much of that for us to start feeling alone, isolated, defeated, and like we don't even deserve God's love and his favor. You guys, we don't deserve it, but he has counted us worthy. He sees value and greatness in you. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, to take the punishment, present himself as a sacrifice so that we could be set free, loved, forgiven, and have new hope and joy. And I'll tell you what, with that comes peace and excitement and a purpose that you've never had before. If you don't know Jesus, I just want to say, he is the way to the Father. You can make your peace with God today. And it's not because anything that you have done. The Bible says that while we were still sinners and stupid and selfish, he died for the ungodly. That's us. He didn't wait for us to get it all together. He took care of the deal before we even said yes to him. And Jesus is the one that says, I have sacrificed myself. Take my hand and I will lead you to the Father. Despite what you deserve or don't deserve, God is good and he is faithful. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for being available and attentive to our needs. You know the needs that are deeper than the ones we can even articulate. You're thinking, is that all you're concerned about? What is huge for us is a small thing for you to address and to heal and to meet that need. Lord, I thank you that you affirm us with your love and your power and your forgiveness even before we deserve it or earn it. Thank you for making a way where there seemed to be no other way. Lord, I pray that you would take those prayers that we have been praying and that you would cause those prayers to matter. I am glad, Lord, that we are not just your puppets to do your thing, but that you have a mission, a kingdom mission, and you have invited your church to participate and fulfill that mission as your partners and as your friends. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Derek.